God is good, amen? It sure is good to be with all of you this morning and to come and to worship God. Thank you for being here today as we lift high the name of Jesus, the name above every name. You believe that this morning? You know, the great con- Christian confession is that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is Lord. How many of you share in that confession with me that Jesus Christ is Lord? Amen. Uh, no one else has risen from the dead. No one else has paid the price for sin. No one else has defeated every enemy and every foe and laid him under his feet. No one else has ascended to the right hand of God. And no one else is returning to judge the world. It is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And so it's great to, to join with you together in our worship of the Lord Jesus. I would invite you to open with me in your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 1. If you're new here, my name is Matt Bell. I'm the pastor here, and uh, we have the great privilege of jumping into the Word of God today. So I hope you have a Bible. If you don't, of course, you can find one on your phone. There's an app. You can find Genesis 1 on your phone. And if you need a Bible, uh, you could raise your hand. One of our ushers will be happy to bring you a Bible this morning. If you need a Bible this morning, just uh, raise your hand. Our ushers will bring you one. If you don't know where Genesis 1 is, uh, just it's the very first page of the Bible uh, is where we will start this morning. Uh, now, next week, we're going to jump back into our series in Philippians. How many are ready to jump back into Philippians? I'm looking forward to that. I think it's going to be a wonderful time together. So that's going to be next Sunday morning, uh, Philippians chapter 2. If you want to read ahead, get ahead, uh, study that uh, a little bit in your devotion time this week. Uh, to prepare your heart for next Sunday morning. We'll be in Philippians chapter 2, jumping back into our series in Philippians. And then next uh, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. on our Sunday evening service, next Sunday, I hope to start a new series on Hebrews chapter 11, uh, looking at the great heroes of our faith and how they lived out their faith, how they were faithful to the Lord in their day, and how God's called us to be faithful to him in the day that we live in. Amen. And so that's next Sunday night. And then tonight, of course, at 6 p.m., I want to invite you back for a wonderful time of worship and prayer. And we'll be spending time in God's Word again tonight as well. So Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Father, we thank you for your Word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts today, that you would help us. Lord, the, the words that we hold in our hands, these are not the words of men. These are not the words of, these words did not originate with man. They didn't come from, from below to tell us about what's above. No, Lord, these words came down from you. They are revelation come down from heaven to man to reveal to us who you are. Lord, that we can know you today because you have revealed yourself to us. You are, you are knowable. Lord, that we can have salvation in life through your son Jesus as he has revealed perfectly the Father to us, and he has revealed perfectly the plan of salvation to us. Lord, that plan that confronts us uh, in our sin, confronts us in our rebellion, confronts us in our turning away from you and your righteousness to follow after unrighteousness, which all of us have done. Lord, we've all chosen to sin, we've all rebelled against you, but you came to save to seek and to save the lost. You came to call humanity out of darkness and into light. You came to 
uh, establish your work of salvation in our hearts that we could be restored into our fellowship with you as our creator. Lord, speak to us through your word. Help us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 1 is uh, not a popular chapter by any means in the Bible as far as uh, popular in the culture today. In fact, uh, probably the majority of people would reject Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of the Bible, as just a myth or a fable. Uh, The problem with that is once you do that, you you pretty much just have to reject all of it. If you're you're not going to buy into the presupposition of page 1, why continue on with the rest of the book? And so because our culture and our world has uh, rejected uh, the, the, the clear re- revelation of God to humanity, uh, our culture has ultimately rejected God as God. And we've seen that over the last century. The, our culture, our, our nation is moving further and further away from our Christian roots, our Christian heritage, our Christian founding. Um, the major, vast majority of the, the, those that brought this nation into being were, were Christians they believed the Bible. They, they, they enacted our laws based on the, the word of God. And the further and further our nation drifts from what the word of God teaches, the further and further our nation drifts into utter and total chaos, which we see on display every single day if you happen to flip on the news. Amen. It's just utter chaos. And Genesis chapter 1 begins, verse 1, Genesis 1, 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That this created that it talks about here is to create everything from nothing. It's the Latin phrase ex nihilio, which means everything was created out of nothing. God didn't start with something. No, everything came from him. He is the creator of everyone in everything. And Genesis opens not with trying to convince us that there is a God. No, all humanity knows full well that there is a God. Uh, the, the idea that there is no God is, is, is utter absurdity. To, to think that existence came into being all on its own without any sort of plan, without any sort of mind, without any sort of intelligence behind it is, is absurdity. Uh, I stand here every week. I stand behind this pulpit. The idea that this pulpit could come into being by its own. Maybe a tornado came and pushed some trees. Maybe a tornado hit a lumber factory and out came this beautiful pulpit. No, it's, it's insane. It's, it's absurd. You look at something like this, you look at any work of, of creativity and you say there was a mind behind that. There was an intelligence behind that. And, and certainly we would say that this pulpit didn't just arise here. It didn't just show up here. This building certainly didn't just show up here. No, somebody created that. Somebody made that. Amen? Amen. And so why is it that we, would, we could all see that, we could all understand that so clearly about something so simple as a pulpit or a building, but when we look at the human body, when we look at some of the most co- one of the most complex organisms in the, uh, the universe, the human body, how it functions, J- just the eye in and of itself is a miracle. 
and you study it all the way down to DNA, all down to the molecular level of, of humanity, this, this imprint that we all have at conception that will, is the blueprint for how we will develop and, and everything there is about us is there at conception. The, the idea that all of this just happened is absurd. It, it's nonsensical. It's, it's preposterous. In fact, the Bible says that it is, it is the fool who declares that there is no God. That creation declares that there is God. And this is not just a Genesis thing. This is throughout the whole Bible. We started our service today by reading from Psalm 19. We started in verse 4, but verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. You don't have to read the Bible to know there's a creator. You just have to look around. You just have to open your eyes. It's obvious. But the Bible also tells us that the heart of man is desperately sick and desperately wicked. Romans chapter 1 says that Man in his sinful nature suppresses the truth of God. Tr tries to drown out the truth of God by all kinds of distractions, by any different kinds of means to stop himself from thinking about the fact that there is a God, that there is a creator, and that this God, because he is the creator, he has something to say about how his creation lives, how his creation operates, how his creation functions, and that we, as his image bearers, will one day stand before him and give an account for how we live the life that he gave us. And so humanity today is trying to do everything it can to suppress what can be plainly seen by our own Two eyes. And so humanity has rejected this truth of God as the creator. Genesis 1.26, it says, Let us, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So here God separates humanity from the rest of creation. He, he elevates humanity over lower creation. Of course, humanity is still under God. But humanity exists in this position of, of being elevated above creation as we're created in the image and the likeness of God. The only reason any human life has any worth is because we have been created in the image of God. This is why there's value to human life. This is why we care about what happens to human beings. There is no reason to care for human life or life at all if, if we're all just a cosmic accident. If, if there's no God, then there's no creator, then there's no right and wrong, there's no ultimate standard of justice. It's just simply survival of the fittest. But it, within each image bearer of God is, is the reality of, of, of that truth is the reality of that ultimate standard of justice. So that you don't have to be taught that it is wrong to steal. If I come and take your stuff, you don't have, you don't have to be taught that. You can say, hey, wait a second, that's mine. You, you understand that this is built in to humanity as image bearers of God. And so he says, let's create humanity in our image. Let them have dominion. So we are to rule and reign as God's image bearers over the earth. 
And verse 27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Now, as we get into Genesis, I'm I'm laying a foundation here today and and we'll come back and we'll start unpacking some of this. But Genesis chapter two gets into a a very zoomed in picture of God creating mankind. Genesis 1 is this wide angle, it's the zoomed out picture. Genesis 1, chapter 2 is like the, the telephoto of, of zooming in on the most important aspect of God's creation, humanity. Chapter 2, verse 7 says, The Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living creature. At that time, Adam was alone. In verse 18, God said, it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. What that means is uh, someone who is like him, but not the same as him. And so now out of the ground, the Lord caused every beast of the field uh, to uh, come to Adam, but Adam did not find a helper fit for him. So verse 23, the Lord God caused his sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one Flesh, And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Here we see on, on the very first pages of Scripture, God is created. God is creator, showing to us his ultimate transcendence. God is not a part of creation. He is distinct from it and highly exalted above it. He created everything out of nothing. He is the source of all life, the source of creation. Without him breathing into humanity, the breath of life, we would not be alive. We would not be living souls. God has complete freedom and sovereignty over the universe that he created. Acts 17.25 says that he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. The reason you are alive today, the reason you are breathing today, the reason your heart is beating today is because God has put life within you. You. You are totally and utterly dependent upon God for every breath that you take, utterly dependent on Him for every beat of your heart. He is your creator. You do not exist without Him. John chapter 1, verse 1 says that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ was in the beginning with God and is God, and that all things were created through Him, Jesus Christ, and without Him was not anything made that was made. There is nothing, there is no existence without Jesus Christ. There was no existence without God calling existence into being. 
God spoke the worlds into existence. He created mankind out of the dust of the earth, formed him in his image. We can know God. We can relate to God. We're made to be in relationship with God. We have the morality of God written on our hearts. We know right and wrong because we're image bearers of God. We're held to another standard because we are image bearers of God. He breathed his life and his spirit into us, causing us to be an eternal soul. So that when you die, when your body ceases to function, when, when the day comes for, for you to be laid in the ground from dust to dust, you shall return. Your spirit, your soul will return to be with the Lord because you have an eternal soul. And when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead, there will be the resurrection of all, both the just and the unjust. Those who were in Christ will be raised to eternal life and those who rejected Christ and lived according to their own rule and not under the rule of God and his way but have not have their sins forgiven will be raised to eternal punishment, damnation, and hell. This is the reality. This is what God's word says. It is clear and it is abundantly clear from beginning to end. We have been brought forth out of nothing, the dust of the earth. Without God, we are dust. And so we cannot claim any independence of our own apart from God. Neither can we rightfully hold anything against God. I cannot claim independence from him. I cannot declare my independence from God. Do you understand that? I am utterly, wholly, totally dependent upon him for everything. And so the the idea that I will not follow God, I will not follow his word, I will not obey his commandments, I will not follow his son Jesus Christ, but that I will go my own way and live in rebellion against God is utter insanity. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Isaiah 40, 26, lift up your eyes and see who created the stars, who brings out the heavenly host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God is totally sovereign over his creation and has every right to define how humanity is to live. And here we see in the very beginning of Scripture, the very first pages of Scripture, Genesis 1:27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Here the Bible declares to us, God declares to us from the very beginning that there are two genders, male and female. There's not a hundred genders. There's not a gender spectrum. There's not even three genders. There are two genders, male and female. This is part of God's good creative design. The very end of his created process, he looks at everything he had made in verse 31 of chapter 1, and he declares, behold, it is very good. God's design for humanity, male and female, creating the woman from man out of of his side, 
bringing her to him as they enter into a one flesh relationship, a sexual relationship that God blessed and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. There's, that's gender and sexuality all right there. God's plan for human sexuality is one man, one woman in covenant relationship for life. That's God's design. That's God's plan. That's God's plan for humanity. Now, of course, humanity has gone its own way and perverted God's good design, perverted it in, in any number of different ways. But God, again, as creator, has every right to define how humanity is to live. It's male and female. There's not something in between. And, and even science declares to us this truth. Biology declares to us this truth. You can dig up the bones of someone who lived 200 years ago and you can find out whether or not they were male or female. By the biology. Now, you, you can't figure out what was in their head, but you can tell what they were by their body. And if you are a man today, you're a man because God created you to be a man. The Bible says he knit us together in our mother's womb, formed and fashioned us. If you're a woman today, it's because God designed you to be a woman. We are God's creatures made in his image, made for a purpose of what he has defined for us. And he has decided that we should be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Here we see from the very beginning of scripture, from the very first pages of God's revelation to humanity about himself and about how we're to live in relation to him, male and female, man and woman in marriage, brought together in this one flesh union. Male and female is not a, a, a male and female is not a man's idea. Male and female does not spring forth from mankind. Male and female is not the, the result of the process of evolution. Male and female is part of God's beautiful and good design. Male and female is not just ideas that we came up with. No, they're part of God's design that God has blessed and said to be fruitful and multiply. Now, we live in a world today that is so confused about this. Because they've rejected God's word and they've rejected God's law. They've rejected God as creator and God has given up our culture to a debased mind. Romans chapter 1 talks about that. God's word is, is so abundantly clear. Now, humanity has tried to pervert God's good design in any number of ways. Nevertheless, God's word is true. So every other expression of human sexuality outside of one man, one woman in covenant relationship, in marriage, every other, gen, every other sexual expression other than that, the one that God has blessed, is what the Bible calls sin. Sin. It's rebellion against God. 
It's rejecting God's sovereignty. It's rejecting God's authority. And so God clearly defines in his word continuously that that there is a sexual expression that God has blessed and there is a sexual expression that is uh, rejected by him and is sin against him. Leviticus chapter 18, if you, if you flip over with me to Leviticus, so it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the third book of the Bible. Leviticus is the book of the Bible where your annual Bible reading goes to die. Um, <laughs> it is the truth, but it's not necessarily the easiest read. And many an uh, annual Bible plan has been abandoned in the book of Leviticus. Nevertheless, it is the truth of God's word. It is God's law for God's people. Genesis chapter 18, God rescuing his people, the people of Israel out of the nation of Egypt, teaching them how they're to live in relationship to him. He tells his people, Genesis 18, 3, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. Okay, I'm bringing you out of Egypt. You can't live as they live. You shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, the land that I'm taking you to. Okay, so you're to live distinct from the land of Egypt, the people you came from, and the land that you're going into, the the people of the Canaanites. You're not to live as they live. You shall not walk in their statutes. Verse 4, you shall walk and follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am Yahweh, the eternal God who created all things. And now he goes on to list a a whole host of sexual expressions that he condemns, including incest, including all manner of depravity, sleeping with your Wife, uh, I'm sorry, your mother sleeping with, uh, sleeping with your daughters, sleeping with your children, sleeping with your sisters. All of this is utterly condemned in this next passage. And then skipping down to verse 21. You shall not give any of your children to Molech. So, so he goes from sexual expression to idolatry and offering up your children in worship of these idols. You shall not give any of your children to Molech and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. This is homosexuality. This is lesbianism. This is any other sexual expression other than man and woman In marriage, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. It goes on verse 23. You shall not lie with an animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. Verse 24. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these things the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. The land has become unclean so, I, so that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Basically, if a people does this kind of practice, 
God's going to bring judgment upon those people. Verse 27, for the people of the land who were before you did all of these things, all of these abominations, so that the land became unclean. Verse 30, so keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God. Now, in, as we get into chapter 20 of Leviticus, he shifts from talking about what the other nations did and how God's people are to be distinct from the peoples of the world to talking about the punishment for this kind of sexual immorality if they do these within the nation of Israel. So it goes from just being don't be like the other nations to this is what will happen to you if you do this in the nation that I'm establishing. It's called the holiness code. Again, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If a man lies with a male as with the woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Hear that, both of them have committed an abomination. And shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. The penalty for this type of Sexual perversion, according to God's law, for his people in the Old Testament, it is a capital offense. How seriously does God take this? Very seriously. Now, the argument is made wrongly, oftentimes, that, well, that's the Old Testament and the New Testament's different. You know, God kind of mellows out in the New Testament. Jesus never says anything about homosexuality. That's what's often said. If anybody ever tells you that, you can rest assured that they know absolutely nothing about what they're talking about. Look at, flip over to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 17, this is the words of Jesus. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota or a dot will pass away from the law until it has been accomplished. For whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. Not not even one period or apostrophe will be struck down from the law. That God's word is eternal. So what this means is that Jesus is here affirming what we just read in Genesis chapter 1. Jesus is affirming what we just read in Genesis chapter 2. Jesus is affirming what we just read in Leviticus chapter 18. Jesus is affirming what we just read in Leviticus chapter 20. To say that Jesus never spoke to these things is to somehow disconnect 
the Bible from itself is to somehow disconnect Jesus' words, what he says here, right here. I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. Flip over to Matthew chapter 19, Jesus again speaking on marriage. Genesis 19, verse 3. And the Pharisees came up to him, that's Jesus, and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Okay, so they come and they ask Jesus a question about marriage, a question about divorce, And what Jesus tells him is what you need to do, guys, is you need to go back and read the Bible. You need to go back and read what God wrote in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. If you want to know about marriage, if you want to know about sexuality, what he says is, have you not read? Go back and read Genesis. Go back and read Leviticus, guys. That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. A man shall not leave his father and mother and hold fast to his husband. A wife shall not leave her father and mother and hold fast to her wife. No, that the man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. God is the one who ordained marriage. God is the one who ordained family. God is the one who ordained human sexuality and expression. It came from God. It is a good thing used in the way that God prescribed it. God is the one who blessed marriage and blessed family and blessed human sexuality as part of his good design of one man and one woman. The nuclear family is not a product of the male patriarchy. It is not something to be destroyed so that people might find freedom. Instead, the nuclear family of a husband and a wife in a committed relationship, monogamous, of of bearing children and raising them in their home. This idea of family is part of God's good design for humanity and it produces human flourishing. If you destroy it, if you destroy the family through all kinds of sexual perversions, all kinds of redefinitions of what the family is, of redefinitions of what marriage is, redefinition of what a man and a woman are, if you destroy the family, you destroy the cornerstone of society and you bring death to a people. The highest, the highest indicator of whether someone will be put in prison for a crime in their life was whether or not they had a father in the home. The the chances going up of you going to prison sometime in your life goes up exponentially, astronomically, if you didn't have a father in your home. If your father abandoned your family because he wanted to follow after some other lust in his heart. 
So so what what produces human flourishing, what produces God's blessing on, on any people, on any society, on any nation, is when a nation says, we will do marriage, we will do family, we will do sexuality according to your word. When a nation, when a society does that, the blessing of God flows. Because all of a sudden there's a stable environment to raise kids, to raise them in a protected environment. Protected against evildoers, protected against people who would come in and try to bring abuse, try to bring neglect, try to bring harm to children. That produces catastrophic uh, 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 psychological damage so that when they grow up they, they end up perpetrating that evil again. But the family protects children from that. And it's part of God's good design. We are God's creatures created for his purpose. And he has defined what is best for us. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there are people who are trying to uh, take the nations of the world away from what God has designed for humanity. I don't know if you know this, but there was a, a law passed recently in Canada in fact, it was passed two weeks ago. It's called Bill C-4. You should look it up and read it. I have it right here. It's only three pages long. I want to share some highlights for you from this bill passed in Canada two weeks ago. I don't normally pay much attention to what happens in Canada. I've lived the majority of my life without thinking much about that nation. I visited there once. It's cold. And it was June. It was cold in June. I like Canadian bacon on my pizza. Those two things are about the extent of my Canadian knowledge up until about two years ago when I started watching the Canada police arrest pastors and throw them into prison for having their churches open during the pandemic. I started seeing them put barbed wire fences around churches that tried to provide a place for their people to come and worship God, of throwing preachers in prison because they dared to hold a service when the government, when the state said that they could not. So I started paying a little bit more attention to what was happening in Canada. Canada, much like our nation, was a nation founded on the word of God. Christian common law. Bill C-4 amends the criminal code in Canada. So we're not talking about the, we're not talking about the civil code where someone could sue someone because of something. We're talking about criminal code. This isn't, what, what this law has enacted is not like, oh, you served me hot coffee and I spilled it on myself and I burned myself, so now I'm going to sue you. No, this is the criminal code. What that means is by violating this code, you can go to jail. And by violating what they voted into law unanimously, not one dissenting vote within parliament there. What they enacted into the criminal code, into law, unanimously, you can be thrown into jail for up to five years for violating this new law. This law hinges on what they call and define as conversion therapy. It's made illegal conversion 
therapy. So if you cause another person to undergo conversion therapy, you have broken this law. If you promote or advertise conversion therapy, you have broken this law. If you yourself travel from Canada to go and seek out in another nation this type of therapy, you have broken the law. And when you return to Canada, you can be put into jail for breaking the law. Well, what is conversion therapy? As defined by this law, a practice or treatment or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual. Conversion therapy is designed to change a person's gender identity to cisgender. What that means is the gender you were born with. Change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to it, sex assigned to a person at birth. It's now illegal to help someone repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. To help a person repress a person's non-cisgender identity to repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. So what this law does is it makes it illegal to help someone fight homosexual, lesbian, bisexual, transgender feelings that they may be having. So someone who is experiencing same-sex attraction comes to a pastor and says, Pastor, I'm battling these homosexual feelings, these homosexual thoughts. I want you to help me. That pastor cannot help them without breaking this law. The pastors in, that, in, in Canada can no longer teach what I just taught for the last 30 minutes. It is considered conversion therapy. And the pastors now, if they stand in their pulpits and preach what the word of God says about sexuality, about gender, about marriage do so under the threat of being thrown into jail for up to five years. That is the law today in Canada. It offers, it, now, now it goes on to say, for greater certainty, this definition does not, conversion therapy does not include a practice, treatment, or service that relates to the exploration or development of an integrated personal identity, such as a practice or treatment or service that relates to a person's gender transition. And that is not based on the assumption that a particular sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression is to be preferred over another. What it says is that conversion therapy only, is only made illegal in one direction. So someone comes to you and says, I, I want to, I, I, I'm feeling, feeling these, these thoughts, these confusion. You could tell them all day, well, that means you're a homosexual. The, the conversion therapy doesn't apply to that. You could tell them all day, well, that means you're a lesbian or, or that means you're a boy trapped in a girl's body or a girl trapped in a boy's body. You, you can all day coach them and tell them what you really need to do is mutilate your own body to try to transform your physical body into being another gender. You can do that all day. This conversion therapy does not apply to taking people in that direction. But if someone comes seeking help, 
Because they know the law of God. Because they know what is right and wrong. Because God has written it on their hearts. And a pastor seeks to help them with the word of God. He can be thrown into jail. It goes on to say, whereas conversion therapy causes harm to society, because among other things, it is based on and propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, including the myth that heterosexuality, cisgender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, identities, and gender expressions. What this says is that the idea that there is a a normal standard of human interaction and relationship and sexual expression, that idea is just a myth. The the idea that it's one one man and one woman in marriage covenant being a one flesh union that God has designed, that's just a myth. That's just a stereotype. That's just, uh, it's uh, it's not true. It's just propagating a myth. This is Canada. And you might say, well, yeah, but that that could never happen here. On page 42 of the 2020 Democratic Party platform, it says, I quote, Democrats will ban harmful conversion therapy practices, end quote. This is part of the party platform. This is what one party in our country is aiming to do, is to make it illegal to say what the word of God says. This is not a political issue. I'm not wading into politics this morning. Politics is wading into what the word of God says. I understand some of you don't like me saying that. Don't like that I just called out one of the party platforms. It exists in opposition to God. It exists in opposition to what God has designed. It exists in opposition to the truth of God's word. And as a pastor and a minister of Jesus Christ, It is my job to tell you what the word of God says and to reject all other ideas, all other ideologies, all other notions. And at Destiny Church, that's what we do. We stand on the word of God. We will not bow, we will not bend, we will not cower to those who would try to silence us on any issue. Because God is sovereign, because Jesus rose again, because there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem that declares that he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto him, and therefore we submit to him above any other authority. Above any other law of man, we submit to the law of God. Now... In conclusion today, I invite you to open to 1 Corinthians 6. 
a New Testament passage on these issues. The reason we're looking at this today is because last week, last Sunday and this Sunday, faithful men of God in that nation stood and are standing today in their pulpits to declare the truth of what God's word says about these things. And we are standing with our brothers today. We are standing with them in solidarity. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived on these things. There are voices who would try to deceive you along these lines. There are voices who would try to twist God's word and to make it say the opposite of what it clearly and plainly plainly says. But the admonition from the apostle of Christ to God's people, to the church, before he gets into this, is do not be deceived. There's a spirit of deception that is coming upon people today. God's people must not be led astray by that deception. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. If you're living in this type of lifestyle, if if this describes who you are, you are not in a relationship with God. You you are not walking in, in, in faith with God. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. But verse 11 gives us all hope. Verse 11 says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. There is hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever sin issue you are battling, whatever it may be, it might be in this list of sins, it might be another. There were people in Corinth who were immoral, who were once idolaters, who once were adulterers and even homosexuals, thieves and greedy and drunkards, revilers, partiers, swindlers. They were all of these things. But then Jesus saved them. Jesus washed them clean, washed them in their blood, sanctified them, set them apart, justified them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. There is hope today for the homosexual. There is hope today for the lesbian, for the transgender, for the adulterer. But it's not found in people affirming you in your sin. No, the hope is found only in Christ who died for your sin, who died to redeem you and pay the price 
to wash you clean, to set you free, to give you a new life, to give you a new destiny, to restore what the enemy stole from you. It's only in Jesus Christ. Amen. And to receive his gift of salvation, to receive his work in our lives, he calls us to repent, to repent of our sin, to turn from it, to turn from anything and everything else that we would put above him because Jesus is Lord. And so we submit to him, we submit to his word, we turn from our sin, whatever sin that may be, And such were some of you. Were, past tense. He doesn't say, and such are some of you. This here, 1 Corinthians 6, is what Canada has defined as conversion therapy. This is what they have outlawed in their criminal code. But as long as there is still breath in my body, I will preach the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We we will not leave people trapped in their sin when Jesus has made a way out to set people free. Amen. I hope today that this has not been a condemning message That's not the gospel. The gospel is a message of hope. The gospel is a message of freedom. The gospel is a message that can set anyone free from anything. There is power in the gospel. There is power in the gospel. To refuse to tell someone the truth, to refuse to lead someone to the light, to, con- to affirm them in sin, whatever the sin may be, is to not offer to anyone hope, but in fact to offer them death as the wages of sin is death. Jesus came to set us free. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. There's freedom to be found in Christ. We are not called to live as slaves to sin. We're called to live as sons and daughters of God. There is freedom in Christ. Look to Christ. If you struggle in sexual sin, whatever it may be, look to Christ. Look to Jesus. Look to the one who can set you free. You don't have to live in bondage in this cycle of sin that produces death, but you can receive the eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. In every area of life, in every sin that we face, look to Christ. He is our advocate with the Father. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness.
Do not be deceived into the idea that whatever sin you're facing is not a sin, but something to be embraced and celebrated and enforced. It's like embracing cancer. It's cancer of the soul. It will destroy you. Instead, let the sun set you free. Father, we thank you for your word. It is the ultimate standard. Lord, it, your word exists above every other word. Your, your law above every other law. Your truth is the truth. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to not be deceived in these days in which we live, but to stand for truth, to stand for righteousness, to live for your glory and your glory alone. Lord, I pray for those who are battling sin today, that through the power of your spirit, you would set them free. We ask this in the name above every name, the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.